Welcome to the Green Phoenix's Mylar, my look at recovery. This is a podcast that will be focusing on mental health, understanding recovery, and restoring a voice to those who it has been taken from. Good afternoon and welcome back to my look at recovery. Today we are joined again with Pastor Larry Grayway, who I think is becoming a permanent fixture, something I'm thankful for. Over the last few months, we have talked about the five stages of recovery. We spent one episode each, focusing on one stage of each episode. So today what we're going to do is we're going to bring it all together. We're going to look at all five of them together and just kind of get your thoughts and see what you've learned over the last two and a half months to hopefully gauge what other people might have learned from all of this. So let's go ahead and get started and I'm going to throw you under the bus a bit and just ask you, what have you learned about recovery over the last two and a half months? What have I learned? That's a, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I think probably the biggest thing that I've learned through this process, and I don't know if it's a learning as much as a reminder of the fact that everybody's story and process is different and the way and and the way we process things the way it affects us the way we deal with stuff is different based on our experiences based on our upbringing all of those things wrap into how we respond to trauma there are some things that are similar but overall, we all we all respond differently and and react differently, and it doesn't necessarily mean one's right or wrong. Now, some people deal with things better than others. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody today that works in a a field that is that sees a lot of trauma, that experiences a lot of trauma, and. we talked about those that that work in that field that struggle with internalizing what they see and not using proper outlets to deal with that that trauma Uh, they internalize it they begin to take upon themselves responsibility that isn't theirs blaming themselves for things that they were really out of their control. So everybody deals with things differently. That was a long answer to say everybody deals with things differently. You make a very valid point and it's something I think a lot of people forget. While in a lot of ways we all share certain common traits whether it's through our culture or gender, nationality, whatever, 
there's going to be a commonality that puts us in that group. But at the same time, we're all very different. So even in a sibling group, two people, they grew up in the same household, same parents, they encounter the same event, they're going to react to it differently. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because of the way we're built, the way we're wired. We're n- even identical twins aren't identical. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a very valid and important point to make. And that's kind of where this goes back when we look at the five stages and the first one being the impact of illness, which you and I both hate that. But the impact, the, that, that place where this event has occurred, whether it's a trauma, whether it's a diagnosis of a mental illness or a chronic physical illness or injury or the death of a parent or loss of a job. It could be anything. It could be a traumatic event. And I think in a lot of ways, when you get that diagnosis, it is kind of traumatic because all of a sudden your whole worldview changes. Mm-hmm. Which is why I personally, I think of it as the identity stolen. Now, do you remember why? Yeah, I do remember why. But, um, again, terms are interesting to me. Uh, I think it comes back to, and I think where I really struggle with these terms is that we tend to wrap too much of our identity up into certain aspects of our life. Because if I were to lose both my legs, my identity isn't stolen. It isn't changed. I'm still who I am. Um, And even, even the idea of impact of trauma, yeah, I get that to to where it's at. It, there is an impact. There is trauma. Would I have to wrestle with things? Absolutely. I watched my father, who was a very active man, who had had to retire early because of heart issues, but shortly after he retired, found out he had a tumor that required the removal of three quarters of his pelvis and part way down his left leg. Now the doctors in the University of Michigan built him a metal prosthesis. He could stand and walk. He used a cane, but you, but it limited how much he could do. He's the person that built half our house by hand. He could build a car from the ground up, and now he was limited. He went through bouts of depression and things because so much of his identity was wrapped up in doing. And when we get a a proper understanding of our identity isn't wrapped up in what so much what we do or can't do or whatever, that it's more about who we are. That's where it changes the level of depth that that impact goes. Without your realizing it, you just described the first three stages of recovery in order. And I don't know if you intended to do that or not, 
But there is that initial impact, that initial loss of your identity. Because you're right, we do wrap our identity around certain things. And so when something comes along and we're told that's no longer who we are, it does have this impact. It does change how we feel about ourselves. And my experience, especially living with a mental illness, when someone finds out that didn't know beforehand, all of a sudden they start to treat me differently. Even though I am the exact same person that they knew five minutes before that, all of a sudden I'm no longer that same person because of that impact. And that's part of the reason why I call it the identity stolen. That's the reason that I created the identity stolen formerly the Hello My Name Is project was to illustrate that so that people could gain a better understanding. Because the truth is there are still times when it comes back and it hits me. And I do get stuck in that that second stage where and you even said it where he felt limited because he had wrapped his identity in being able to do. But once you find that place in your that you can see that things can get better, that you haven't really changed who you are, that's where that change is possible, comes in that spark of hope. Yeah, I'm, I think if, and again, I, I've mentioned before, I, I wrap things around to faith a lot because that's, and, and honestly, it's the only way I see that brings a peace to those situations because if nothing in my life were to ever change again whether like I said loss of legs whatever that may be would I be okay with who I am at that moment and come to terms with the fact that even if things don't get better, and I'm using quotes on that because I think sometimes we don't even understand what better means. Um, if if I don't, if those circumstances don't change, am I okay with where I'm at? Am I okay with who I am? The problem is, is that we we see other people and we judge and base our lives off of them and what we think they have even though we don't really know and we want it we desire it and the best way i've ever had it illustrated in my life as a few years ago i was in haiti and we were doing uh some medical missions work we we hiked I don't know, an hour to the top of a mountain to do ultrasounds uh, and some basic medical treatment to a group of people that walked several hours just to get there because that was the only place they were going to get that kind of treatment. There was no road. Um, and I met some people that had the most joy in the world that you'd ever meet. They would give you anything they had. Matter of fact, that was their joy was to share everything they had with you. And the truth is, I don't make a lot of money, but I probably made more money that month than they made the entire year. And they had more joy and more peace than most people I've ever met in America. 
the ones in Haiti that I saw struggling were the ones that after the hurricane, or not hurricane, earthquake, had all of this support come in from outside sources. And then they started longing for something that wasn't theirs. And they became discontent. They began to focus on things outside of their 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 own world. And so they they became focused on what they thought would bring them happiness, what they thought would bring them joy. And it, it led to discontentment, disappointment, frustration. Um, and, I, and the same thing happens to us. There's nothing wrong with wanting more. There's nothing wrong with having ambitions and dreams. But if you don't have the right foundation in your life, pursuing those things can lead to very dark places. Because nobody achieves those ambitions or dreams without getting kicked in the face a few hundred times, without failing a few thousand times, and without missing the mark at points. And if you're not in a good, solid place, those can wipe you out. So anyway, that's kind of, it just goes back to the the core of who we are and, and being okay and realizing that, you know what, I'm still going to get through today. And I may not be exactly where I want to be, but I'm okay with who I am today. This may be a little bit off, but there's something that's been rattling around in my brain for a couple years. And hearing you talk today, it kind of jostled it a little bit loose. So I may be totally wrong, but your faith is very important to you. It's a, it's a part of your core identity. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever had a crisis of faith where you really questioned whether or not God was real, whether everything you believed was real. And to me, that would be the same as having that impact, that identity stolen, if you were to go through that crisis of faith and realize you really just lose part of you. And then you start to, well, if God's not real, there's nobody there with me walking this journey with me and then you start to recognize that that's not true and you get that spark of hope and you start to recognize that God has always been there with you and you recommit your life to him and then you start taking the action to start moving back into a life with God uh, I don't I honestly would question almost anybody that has genuine faith if they said they never questioned Um, or never came to a point where they wondered I think that's part of the journey I spent the first part of my life not trusting God at all that's part of that wrestling because for it to be solid we have to know why we believe we have to know where that's coming from we there's that that sense of of change that comes through it. And I understand what you're saying. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I do because I see so many people flounder without understanding their identity or putting their identity in things that that won't last. Um, But, you know, that's just, that's from, 
from my perspective. And yeah, everybody's going to get challenged and some people do when, when really difficult things happen. It challenges their faith. And I'm okay with that. Because that's part of the process of really grabbing hold of of where that faith is and seeing that God is faithful through those difficult circumstances. It doesn't fix everything. The problem is we want them to fix everything. Right. We want everything to we want to put our dollar seventy five in, push A five, and have it be fixed. And that's just not how things work in any world, except for a vending machine. Not even then all the time. Yeah, that's true. The, re- the reason that I was trying to, to ask you, because I know that you're not really a visual person, whereas I think in pictures you really don't, so you don't. But to me, there is that parallel between the journey that I've had through my life, learning to live with the mental illness and some of the other fun things that come along with that. And all. So trying to figure out faith and God and mm-hmm. because both of them have been a part of my life since early childhood, if not my entire life. Mm-hmm. So to me, I see the parallel between the two of them. And I think part of what happens, especially when we're talking about a mental illness or any type of disability, is that there's such a stigma and negativity associated with it that we want to push past it. We we don't want that identity stolen phase to be there. We don't want the fighting the darkness or life is limited phase to be there. We we don't want it. We don't want those to exist. We want people to just push past them, but they are there, they are important, they are a part of the journey. And that's part of that growth. If you never go through that impact if you never go through that limited phase you can't really grow you have to have that difficulty it's like the illustration that i've used before and not the only one that uses it but the butterfly and the chrysalis Mm -hmm. yeah this little happy caterpillar and he's happy in his life and he's, he's going through life all eating leaves, soaking up sunshine, doing caterpillary things. And then somewhere along the way, he decides, okay, well, I don't want to be a caterpillar anymore. So he goes and he pushes himself into his little cocoon and he turns into caterpillar soup. And that soup slowly starts to change and metamorphosize into a butterfly. And when it's time for the butterfly to come out of the chrysalis, it has to really struggle and it has to push and that's how it builds up the strength in its wings so that it can fly. And if you were to see that butterfly fully formed struggling to get out and you felt bad for it and you were to cut open the chrysalis, it wouldn't be able to fly and it would die. And I think the same is true for people. And the important thing is to to try to understand where the person is at, meet them where they're at, and then be able to identify what support that they need at that place. And a big part of that is learning to communicate more effectively with them. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, that's... 
communication is a huge part. That's why we've talked about community so much. If we really think about life full cycle, you're born, hopefully you live into, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. Realize that's not everybody's journey, but that's that's the hope. Um, you learn and grow and do a lot along that process. I think one of the greatest things we can do as we get older is turn around and mentor and support those that come behind us. Um, and then for those that are younger to recognize the wisdom and learning. I think when I was growing up, there was this big push to, you know, push away those older than us. They don't understand, they can't understand, all of those things, and that's pretty natural for most. But I look at a lot of cultures that do things like that very well. Asian culture does a really good job of this of allowing and honoring their elders and learning from their elders. Now they go a little bit too far in some areas and I don't think there's a perfect example to where um, there becomes some abusive control issues. But that, that whole idea of learning from one another, from having the right people around you that, that know when to let you struggle and know when to lift you out and finding that balance and that's always the hardest part is when do I let you just struggle and when do I just open up the door and, and, and get you out of that situation most of us try to fix things we're really poor listeners and we just try to fix which just creates more issues you made a very valid point in our culture, we seem to think that children are our future. So we put all of our time and energy and resources into youth. The truth is that the youth are not our future. Our future are the elderly because we're teaching the youth of today how to treat us based on how we treat the next generation. So while it's important to provide the resources and early intervention and all that stuff for youth, we're doing a major disservice when we ignore the elderly. Oh, well, they've already lived their life, they're not as important. And while I don't have the statistics in front of me, I am willing to bet you that the highest suicide rate is probably among the elderly and a lot higher among the elderly than the elementary and yet we're putting the most resources into preventing it in elementary school yeah i don't know i don't know exactly where those lines are um and i don't know if i 100 percent agree with the way you put it and i agree with the idea behind the way you put it but but um It's more or less of viewing our, our life and our culture as a whole. When you, 
when you focus only on productivity, then the only people that have value are those that can be productive, which is why in some, when you look at some socialist context, there's a, there's a disconnect because really you've got to contribute to the community for your community, for you to, to have value, which everybody has value at some point. You have to know how to identify it and help them use it. Even somebody, uh, I'll relate it to church. You, you take somebody that's, that's retired, maybe not physically able to go do service projects in the community. Maybe they're not able to even stand up and teach like they once used to or whatever, but that person has value by maybe reaching out and praying over somebody or just calling somebody and giving them a little bit of encouragement. Maybe they physically can't go and do all that they were once able to do, but now they have a role where they can pour in and support somebody else along that journey. They still have value. And it really comes down to how do we value somebody's life? If we value only based on productivity, then of course we're going to tr train children to be productive. And we see it and we see it in our in our businesses and things like that if somebody isn't producing and I understand that concept but we can't view human life through productivity in those parameters and saying that that only life that is productive is of value so. you make a very valid point and I wish I could remember the definition as related by Sam's Law, which is the federal government's agency. Don't ask me what it stands for, because I don't remember. But it has to do with both substance abuse and mental health. And they, one of the core elements that they define in recovery is the person has a purpose, a sense of purpose. Because that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to have a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. They want to feel like they are a part of their community, that they are able to contribute to their community in some way. And that is a large part of your mental health, is being able to find those connections, build those connections with your community, with people around you, but also to feel like you have a purpose. And I think, especially for me, and part of this is because as we're recording this, quickly coming upon the 12th anniversary of the last attempt and realizing that largely when I get to that point, because I still struggle with suicidal thoughts, you know this, and a big part of what happens is when I get there, I've lost my sense of purpose. I've lost my sense of connection, of feeling like I belong and I become, in my head, a burden to everybody else. I no longer have a purpose to serve. I no longer have a connection to anything or anybody. I'm causing more pain, more destruction and chaos, so it would be better to take myself out of the equation. And right now, I know that's not true because I'm not in that space, but when you're in that space, 
And I think that's just one of those things that's important to recognize. And we're, we're getting to the end of this episode, and I just want to give a quick recap of the, the five stages and then ask you your thoughts. So you, you start with the impact of illness or that identity stolen, and that is the danger, that the person has lost their identity. They no longer feel like they are the same person. And then you move into the life is living it limited phase where the danger is the loss of possibilities. They no longer see the possibility in their in their life. It's just they've given up because that's their solution. And for some people that means just sitting in a chair, chain smoking, watching TV all day. For other people it's what's the point of living? But then you have that that little spark and that you recognize that the change is possible, that spark of hope and you the risk is the danger there because when you lose that hope it's so much harder to get it back. So how do you support someone in, in helping them like protect that little spark, that little flame so you can kindle it up into a full fire? And then you have the commitment to change, which is when people start to do little things to start getting out back into the community, kind of testing the waters or the example you've given, like a, a toddler taking their first steps. And then you reach the, the last stage, which isn't the shining beacon on the hill because all your problems don't go away, but it's when you have that actions for change. It's when you, you start to realize that there is possibility of a life that you can start doing things. And so you, you're taking those first simple acts or little steps and you're starting to build on those and put yourself out there more. But the danger with that is that there's that new added responsibility and that pressure. And so the idea behind it is you, you just have to recognize where the person is and then provide them the support that they need to kind of offset that danger to help them progress without pushing them too far, but kind of nudging them. So what are your thoughts? I don't have any. No, um. <laughs> and this is why I keep you around. <laughs> Um, I, I guess to summarize it, uh, those stages exist, I think. Um, it's not that different than the stages of grief, although stages of grief could happen at any time, in any order. And um, I think the way I would love to wrap it up is for those of us that are working with people that have gone through or are going through significant life-changing events that we recognize the struggle that they're having that we don't use words that are empty just to fill things but that often what we need to do is just sit and listen and be there. The greatest way you can show somebody that you support them 
is by just being available. Whether that's just sitting on the phone and listening, whether that's sitting in the same room, whether that is just even as simple as a text, although text doesn't do it completely, it's really those moments where you're available. And sometimes, yeah, you might have some things to help with. You might um, be able to ease some of the burden or help point in the right direction. But most of all, they just need to know they're valued, that they're cared for, and they're not forgotten. And no matter what stage we're in in that, we need people by our side to walk through it. Even when we hit that point where we've accomplished some of those things, we still need people around us because the, the next bump may be tomorrow or it might be five years from now, but we will experience it again. And then recognizing that when we get to that place, that people around us, every day we encounter people at different points on this journey. And just being able to recognize and treat people with the respect and dignity to know that, hey, they might be going through something I don't understand or know. And then it comes down to treating people as if they have value, no matter who they are, even if you don't like them. Because there are people I don't like too much. And yes, I am a pastor, and I said, yeah, there's some people that just rub me the wrong way but they still deserve my respect. They still deserve my, uh, the dignity of being treated like a human being, whether I find them somebody I want to hang out with or not. That's really, for those of us that are on the outside, and then I would say to those that are going through that struggle, and it may feel like it's never going to end, Do your best to reach out to those. Don't internalize yourself so much that you don't reach out to those that care. Even if you don't know who those are at times. Um, it, I, I hesitate to use the word it will get better because that depends on your definition of better. But it can change. I think that's the most important takeaway from anything in life. No matter what your situation is, it's going to change. So if you're going through a time when things seem to be going really well, enjoy it, embrace it, hold on to it. And when you hit the speed bumps in life, recognize that you're not going to be there forever because things are going to change. So just hold on until you get back to that other side. Well, I think that's all for today, and I want to thank everybody for joining us. So until next time, have a great day.